This is an AMI podcast. I'm Juvita Gupta, and this is The Pulse. Language plays a crucial role in our daily lives. Not only a medium of communication and socialization, languages are also at the heart of an individual's identity and of collective history and memory. The loss of language isn't just the loss of words. It's the loss of culture, an entire way of life, and a distinct perspective. In 2016, the United Nations expressed concern that close to 40% of the world's 6,700 languages were at risk of disappearing, with the majority being indigenous languages. The International Year for Indigenous Languages in 2019 aimed to recognize, support, and preserve indigenous languages locally and internationally. Today, we discuss indigenous language preservation with musician Jeremy Dutcher. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Hello and welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. My name is Joita Gupta and I'm really excited to be talking to you today about languages and preserving languages, particularly within our indigenous communities. It's something that I've given a lot of thought to being a first-generation immigrant and I've often given some thought to whether my children, if I were to ever have them, would be comfortable speaking Hindi or Bengali or some of the languages I grew up speaking at home. This is a question that I wrestle with and I wonder about what else they would be losing out on if they no longer speak the language. And for indigenous communities with a history of colonization, of residential schooling, the questions under consideration are far deeper. And so to try and unpack some of these questions and get into a deeper discussion, my guest today is musician and composer Jeremy Dutcher. Jeremy is the winner of the 2018 Polaris Music Prize and the 2019 Juno Award for Indigenous Music Album of the Year. For his debut album, Willis Duig, Lintua Ganawa, and of course, Jeremy can correct me if I completely mangled it. Jeremy has been touring extensively and will be playing a number of shows in Quebec next month. So, Jeremy, we heard your laughter before we I had a chance to say hello, but welcome to The Pulse. Hi, it's so nice to be here with you, Juida. It's really nice to have you on the program. Now, you can go ahead and be honest. Don't worry about hurting my feelings. How badly did I mangle it? No, not at all mangling. It was. I thought it was really perfect. The first word was absolutely... Um, divine, and I think that the second one could just use a little emphasis tweak. So <laughs> I would, I, I would say it more like uh, and and that means um, the 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 songs of the people of the beautiful river, oh, that's and that's beautiful. where I come from. That's beautiful. Uh, I was so excited by your intro and, and and all the beautiful things you had to say about what language is and what it does. And I, I think particularly with uh, the precarity of indigenous languages, mm-hmm. uh, the kind of work that's ahead of us as young indigenous people to uh, ensure that these languages carry on into the next couple generations. Mm-hmm. And your album, which has received so much acclaim, is part of that broader project of making sure that the languages carry on. What was your incentive in coming up with this unique concept in your album? Yeah, I think for me, when I when I sat down to to say, okay, I wanna I wanna create an album, 
based on you know these these old songs of of like traditional songs from where I come from. Mm-hmm. For me, it kind of it was my first one. It had to be a statement of of my reality, and 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 language was so such an important part of my upbringing, and and uh, and coming up and understanding of myself through that language. Um, mm-hmm. And so for me to do the first one, you know, and, and now I'm working on new material and some of it's in English and others in Wulostigwe. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so for me, the first one had to be that way, a statement of personal sovereignty, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Let me just jump in here because this is a, a statement of personal sovereignty, but it's also a, a statement of resistance. How many people are fluent in your language? Do you have any numbers? Uh, is it a language that's commonly spoken at home? With languages like ours, like Wulistigwe, there's less than 100 fluent speakers left. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah, it's really shifted within the last generation, right? And so I think a lot about my mother when I talk about these uh, conversations because her experience of, of language is very different from mine. When she was coming up in the community, it's like everybody was speaking the language. It was the language of every day. And and it was that, it was her generation, though, that, you know, was going to the, the day schools, the, the, mm-hmm. the church-run schools in the community, and, and really, like, aggressively disincentivized to, to stop speaking this language. And, and where we see the precarity of indigenous languages right now is directly related to um, the systems which were designed to eradicate it. Exactly. No, I, I was just thinking back to my own childhood. I grew up in India, and one of the things that we were told is, you must speak English. You, the best opportunities come to people who speak English. And so uh, we were told to repress the languages that mm-hmm. we had grown up speaking at home because... It wasn't even that it was shameful. It just wasn't productive. And that's a colonial yeah. history that we <laughs> grapple with. The other legacy that a lot of communities try to hold on to is the legacy of their music. And I wonder, I mean, you are a classically trained musician. You went to Dalhousie University for formal training. But how embedded were you in the musical traditions of your community? I mean, uh, I always like to say that, like, you know, as much as I was classically trained, I was also, I was trained around the drum, too, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, for growing up, you know, I'm the youngest of four brothers, and my oldest brother, he played in the, in the, in the local drum group. And, um, and so I would always be around that drum, not, not playing it so much because I was too young, but listening, you know, always watching and, and kind of, like, mesmerized by it. And it wasn't until, I guess I was, like, Eight, seven or eight years old and starting to do my first ceremonies that that I came to know um, Maggie Paul, who's a traditional singer from the East Coast mm-hmm. um, and my mentor for a very long time now. And um, she introduced me to a lot of the older songs. And then through that, I went on a classical music uh, operatic journey and taught myself how to play the piano and then came to work on this album. And, mm-hmm. and, and I hope that it brings... Um, other indigenous people into that circle of understanding, mm-hmm. and and then at the of course like uh, non-indigenous people too. I think what what is coming clear to me is that like indigenous languages aren't just for indigenous people. I think mm-hmm. there's so much in there that I think all the human family can benefit from mm-hmm. in understanding and knowing. And so I'm interested in in how we can make 
indigenous languages a source of global understanding. You're listening to the voice of Jeremy Dutcher, musician and composer of the album Wulastuik Lintua Ganova. Jeremy, I really wanted to find out about how you went about compiling your album. So as far as I understand it, you were able to unearth some wax cylinders. So just to give you an idea of how old some of the stuff is uh, of recordings of some traditional music and and spoken word from your community and eventually managed to work it into your album. And if you listen to Jeremy's album, you know, that is interspersed throughout. So give us an idea of your artistic process, not just the actual nuts and bolts of it, but how do you do the difficult work of interpreting the music of your ancestors? You want to stay true to what they were, to the principle of, of the music, but you also want to make it relevant to a modern audience or an unfamiliar audience. Of course, I think you, you absolutely kind of hit it on the head there, which is to say that, like, I, I had such reverence for these old recordings, you know. These are these are uh, field recordings from the early 1900s of my ancestors, you know. And it's like these are these are a lot of them family members, and like you know, I, I know their descendants. They're friends of mine, you know. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. so it's like this is family music. It's 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 you know our heritage, and um, it had been you know turned into an archive. Meanwhile, we had lost so much in, in the intervening years. You know, this is 100 years ago. And so I think it was the sad truth of it was that, that I grew up, you know, in the community and had never heard a lot of these songs before. Mm-hmm. It's because, you know, they through, the, through generations and through, you know, through the suppression of culture, through, mm-hmm. through residential schools and through, you know, laws that prohibited our, our, our music making and gathering, I think, yeah, we lost a lot. And so for me, getting to go into that museum and, 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 and sit with that archive and see all that was in there, you know, there was over a hundred of our traditional songs that were collected by this anthropologist. But it wasn't just that, too. It was, it was, it was also photographs that were taken of my ancestors, and, and their stories were written out in our language. And so there's such a, a wealth of knowledge in there. And, and for me... Uh, the whole, I guess, ethos of what I wanted to do was to go and to show that beauty that existed in there to my community. And, and, and you're right, yeah, I think speaking to the contemporary moment as well and understanding that, that these songs live today. And, and they live today because we're still here and we're still singing. And, and, and they, can, they can take contemporary form and they can breathe. You talked about something that really piqued my interest, and I wanted to explore it more here, in that language offers a unique perspective. And when we lose out on language, we also lose out on that unique worldview. Indigenous people in Canada are fighting for recognition and for reconciliation. Uh, We see so many challenges faced by all of us, whether it's climate change, environmental preservation. We've seen massive conflicts over pipelines, for instance, how does a reintroduction of indigenous language, culture, and ways of thinking help to try and resolve some of these bigger issues? Well, I think, you know, uh, embedded within these languages is a deep uh, sense of interrelatedness and connectedness to the natural world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'll, I'll just give an example. So, you know, we're walking down the street together and we see, um, we see some trees. And we we can we can call them trees and we can describe them them in that way, but if I'm walking alone, I might greet a busy mm-hmm. 
And Abizig is our word for trees. But within that word, Iik uh, is the suffix. And you may recognize that from Wulastowiik. And so that mm-hmm. is the people of the beautiful river. And, and so those are the, the, the beings that are firmly rooted in the ground. Mm-hmm. And so when we understand those trees in that way, we then have a relationship with them as, as fellow beings in this place that English kind of robs from us. And so I think what that kind of relationship is pointing to through our language is that this land that we inhabit and we care for, it is not to be just treated as what we can extract from it, mm-hmm. you know? And I think um, that's a fundamental understanding for our people. And, you know, I think as much as we're just fighting for maybe not so much recognition, but mm-hmm. just autonomy and sovereignty and the ability to care for our lands as our ancestors have for, uh, you know, centuries. Well, I think that's beautifully said. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about, Jeremy, is just the experience that I've had with indigenous music. There are some bands that have skyrocketed to fame. Uh, I've, for example, I've seen the tribe, a tribe called Red in a concert, and they were phenomenal. Oh but do God. you think? Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, it was great. And when they were in Toronto, I think it was um, a year back, year or two back. But I, I just wondered, walking away from that experience, whether people were getting the impression that there's only one kind of indigenous music. And I know that, for example, there's no one kind of any type of music. So do you think your album helps to further this consideration of indigenous music being nuanced by region, uh, by community? Well, that I think was certainly my hope was was because I was creating a project that was uh, hyper specific, you know, in in the community that I come from. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would be a, a signal to say that we are many, you know. I love what a tribe called Red does, um, but fundamentally, it's so different from uh, from the kind of music that that you know where I come from. And so, I wanted to express that. But as much as you know a group like Snotty Nose Redskids is mm-hmm. is bringing sounds from where they come from or Tanya Tagach is is bringing sounds from the north where she comes from um, yeah I think I hope that um, people see I guess the, the the diversity of us and the breadth of us and what we what we offer because indigenous music is, is not just one thing it's but, it's multifaceted uh, and it it's nuanced like most like music from anywhere like you can't just say oh there's Indian classical music you know I always get annoyed when people say that it's like no you know there's like different types of music there's (laughs) subgenres anyways um, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about Jeremy that I've been wondering about is um, how do you make there are, there are some really interesting components of your album. So when I was listening through it there are places in the album where there are conversations happening between two people and I thought that was such an interesting uh, component to what was primarily a record. Why was it important for you to include those conversations? It was very powerful, but what was your thinking behind it? Yeah, I think for me, I wanted to tell a story in in broad strokes. You know, I think um, that's when people when people call me a songwriter, I'm like, <laughs> that's kind of funny. I feel like I'm an album writer because I wanted to, I wanted to tell a, a big story with that record and. Um, for me, conversation was as much part of the building of the record as um, as is the music playing, almost. You know, it's like 
um, the the research that went into the creation of it is um, it, it 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 is the world behind the work, mm-hmm. and so I I think rather than uh, hiding it, we need to show that kind of stuff, and I think you know when when music becomes uh, hyper. Um, mediated through like you know super high-tech recording studios or uh you know we got to get the perfect take um i think we lose uh we lose the art of it and the i think when we have the seams and the 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 maybe imperfection showing i think that's kind of um yeah it it it, for me it it tells the story more than Mm -hmm than just, you know, here's a song, and then here's the next single, and then here's, you know, here's the love song. And then, like, you know, it's all, it's, uh, I, I didn't want to be too formulaic, I think, in how I built this. And, and that particular conversation was one that was very important because that was the conversation uh, with an elder from my community named Maggie Paul. Mm-hmm. And she was the one that told me about the archive that led me to, you know, this you know, come to hear these songs for the first time. So, um, yeah, it was uh, it was a foundational sort of moment, mm-hmm. I guess. Uh, and I wanted that to to, to be part of the story uh, because she is part of the story. Mm-hmm. You know, she is the generation before that that has been carrying these songs, uh, but not being recognized for it. And so now that that we're in a place where, you know, uh, people are listening in a new way um, to, to what Indigenous people are saying. Um, it's uh, it's always good to remember that there was another generation that, that had to, you know, push the door down for that to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, people like uh, Buffy St. Marie, too, mm-hmm. in the music industry, who's been, uh, who's been out there and uh, having really important and uh, inclusive conversations mm-hmm. in the media for a long time. Yeah. No, I'm a huge fan of her work as well. Now, I mean, music has often been called a universal language. Jeremy, I don't think it's a sentiment you would necessarily disagree, but what, what are some of the universal human themes that your album is trying to explore? Well, I think for me, it is, we all have a story that we hold as dear as I hold this story. Um, and I think I wanted to have an exploration of um, my sort of like contemporary Wolostok identity um, through a relationship and conversation with uh, what we would call which are the ones that went before and um, and so for me it's it's a dialogue and a dialogue is what we're all about on this program. And just as a tributary feeds the river, which then feeds the ocean, Jeremy, you have fed our conversation and our understanding about a very important but regrettably seldom discussed topic about the preservation of indigenous languages. I hope you'll allow me a moment to just be a, a total fangirl and say that I loved your album. Your voice is beautiful and it oh. is I just, I, I was amazed by your stamina. It's a truly remarkable piece of work. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to chat with you. That was Jeremy Dutcher, and we heard from him about the importance of preserving indigenous languages. He is an award-winning musician and composer for his debut album, 
Wulistuig Lintua Ganawa. I hope I am not mangling it too badly, but of course we are trying our best here as we talk about uh, the preservation of indigenous languages. And I want to make sure that I remain respectful. It is a truly remarkable album. There are no words to describe it. I feel that the little that I've said is wholly inadequate. And I must thank Andrika Delanerol for pointing me towards it. It is one of those albums that you must listen to in your entirety. And I feel it's a kind of album that really inspires movement and is so energetic and so deeply soulful uh, that it is available for download on iTunes. Amazon dot uh, Amazon Music, Google Play, wherever you can, Spotify, wherever you get your music. And of course, it is available at your local record store as well. I want to thank Jeremy Dutcher for being our guest on the program. It was a pleasure speaking to him. I'll just sum up his thought as my thought of the day, which is that recognizing your music and your language and the culture and heritage that comes with that is a gift that we give ourselves and a gift that we give our future generations. It's a way of unraveling the shame of our colonial past and coming to pee, it, finding peace in some of the universal themes captured by music, which is autonomy, self-determination, respect, and togetherness. On that note, I want to point out that The Pulse is produced by Enrica Delanerol, our amazing producer. Sam Robinson is our technical producer. Andy Frank is our manager of AMI-audio. But The Pulse is nothing without its community, that being you. And thank you so much for listening to the program. If you have any feedback, if you listen to Jeremy's album and want to give us your thoughts about it, you can find us on Twitter at AMI-audio. Use the hashtag pulseami or you can write us an email, write it to feedback at ami.ca. Thanks a lot for being part of the conversation. We'll be back with more Pulse on AMI-audio. I've been your host, Juita Gupta. Thanks a lot for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit ami.ca. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.